Welcome back to Coast to Coast. I'm George Norrie, Alan Watt, our guest. Alan, I get a uh, fast blast in from Ron of uh, Oklahoma, wants to know more about Skull and Bones. If you believe that organization is also part of the Illuminati, this group. Yeah, the Skull and Bones is. Um, before, long before Weishaupt was heard of, um, the pirate flag of Britain was the Skull and Bones. It's uh, the symbol of Freemasonry, and if you watch the opera uh, Gilbert uh, and Sullivan, the Pirates of Penzance, you'll see the raising of a mason in the first scene, where they have the apprentice with his pant leg rolled up, his breast exposed, etc., being put, laid on the pirate flag, meaning symbolizing death, and then being raised up by the captain, so they go through it even on a stage play. It's definitely part of the same Illuminati program. Skull is, 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 is if you speak it, is seek you all and be one. You know, Alan, as you look at all of this, uh, and you, you know, you have an opportunity to see the puzzle before even all the pieces are put in place. At what point in your life did you see this? Or what changed your life? Because a lot of us go into this and our eyes really open up wide later on. What happened with you? I, I was sort of born this way. <laughs> I, I grew up uh, <laughs> wondering why Britain was such a mess uh, as the supposed um, inheritor of this uh, British Empire uh, and supposedly winning World War II along with his allies. And yet, uh, growing up in that period... Um, I didn't see anyone with any money except that those in Lo uh, some families in London, you know, the rich families. And that's who had inherited the, the wealth of the British Empire for centuries. I realized there was something much more behind all, all of this. Um, and of course, once I delved into the inner religions of some of the, the higher elite, which I, and I met some of them in the music industry. Um, I realized they had a completely different uh, religion than the masses and they fervently believed in it. They truly believed they're descended from a different um, uh, lineage, that their spirit is different from, from those around them. And this goes back to the, to the writings of Plato even, who discussed the, the reincarnation of the same elite spirits down through the ages, beginning with uh, a start on earth where the fallen angels or cast angels as they called them, the rebels their ancestors were cast and they created the first physical bodies for themselves by purely willing them into existence and the first generations retained special supernatural powers they claimed but they began to lose them with interbreeding with the people who were already here and hence the need to go back to the intense interbreeding to try and, and retain uh, these powers or get back these powers. And that is the, that was always the ancient religion of the elite in the Pharaonic times uh, and in Plato's day. And it is up until the present. Do you think people are starting to wake up now, Alan? That they're beginning to see things that they never saw before? Uh, they are mainly, though, because they, they're afraid, and the fear alone is motivating them to ask questions. But because of an incredible conditioning in society uh, and all the misinformation out there 
and uh, and the fantasy that we live in. I mean, people in the West have been conditioned to watch television so much that fantasy is completely interwoven with reality, and they have a hard time distinguishing the two. And um, uh, they're also desensitized to the killing uh, that the West has done uh, and is still doing in the Middle East, uh, beginning with the Vietnam era, uh, where people were eating their dinner, watching the people in, in uh, Vietnam being blown up, you know. Uh, that desensitization uh, is too unreal to us. We, can, we hardly tell the difference now between a movie and reality, and we're desensitized so much that um, when it happens here, and it will happen here when the time is right, we're watching the build-up of a massive internal army, the multi-jurisdictional task force. That's all the boys in uniform um, being set up to take care of some kind of chaos back home. And one day we will see it happen. And out of the chaos, because, because that's their ordo ab chaos of the high rights of masonry, the order of perfection, the Scottish right, uh, they create the chaos and they bring their new order out from it. And the people they hope would be so on their knees with terror and fear that uh, this new system that will be introduced, uh, they'll take it up gladly. Anything to stop yeah, the, the people chaos. People will beg. They will beg for peace yes. and, and chaos to go away. At any cost. Do anything you can to stop it. Yeah. We'll give up all our rights. Just save us. Yeah. And uh, you know what, Alan? You may be right. You may be right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you had mentioned earlier that science and this new world order seem to be woven together. What do you mean by that? From the most ancient times, we find this. The, 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 the mysteries that, that many of the Egyptians had control over, the priesthoods, uh, were very high uh, understandings of what they called nature or science, the workings of nature. And they could uh, use these sciences to control the people, even in ancient times. Um, there's no doubt about it. There's highly technological societies before this one. Um, much of it is supposedly being rediscovered. That's why we have research. You know, it's research. The searching was done before. There are three levels of reality. The the one that Joe Blow lives in that watches the six o'clock news and reads the magazines in the stores, that's the bottom level of the matrix. If you get up into the higher level, into uh, CIA, above professorship level, you're into a new realm of science. It's much more advanced. Uh, Nick Bagage showed us a technology used in the 1950s by the CIA. He demonstrated on the television on the Wendy Mesler show, CBC, and these little handheld remote devices could put thoughts into your head, into the middle of your head, uh, from any distance line of sight. And this was all antique uh, technology which the CIA possessed in the 1950s. Oh, yeah, and it's even better now. That's right. Yeah. So, so that's the middle level, and above that, the controllers themselves have the ultimate weaponry, and, uh, and they don't even give that to their helpers, the CIA. <laughs> Conrad from Toronto wants to know why Lord Rothschild of Britain is never on the Forbes riches list, yet his family is worth billions. Uh, when they took over the Bank of England, uh, they had it written into the charter 
uh, with the royalty that they would never have to disclose their their profits. And so, so they so they're not audited at all. So, but you do believe that they may be the richest family on the planet. They're one of thirteen. Yeah. My there are oh, thirteen major banking families which comprise the World Bank. Ellen, it's that World Bank that I think is really out to control everything. I think that's where it all stems. If you look at uh, uh, what we did in uh, Yugoslavia, uh, then in uh, Iraq, uh, uh, Afghanistan, then Iraq, uh, the first thing in was the World Bank, the centralized bank, then the World Bank, and then the UN moved in UNESCO to teach the children, the first generation of children. They always bypass the older people and go right for the children to bring them up in this new system. But the World Bank has been set up in each one of those conquered countries. They only have um, Iran and Syria to go next. John from Boston wants to know about the chaos you foresee. What will it be? I'm sure they'll use all of it. the standard, I call them the standard techniques of uh, famine. And that will happen very easily in a plague because they've already said on television that no food will, will come into the cities because there'll be no transportation allowed back and forth. So you, you'll have uh, famine, plague, um, earthquakes are caused, of course, by harp. It's written into the United Nations Charter in the 1970s, I think 77, they said uh, the harp technology must not be used between governments um, in warfare times because it can cause floods, hurricanes, and earthquakes. So earthquakes can be caused as well, um, and of course war. So we'll have all of the usual revelation stuff, because revelations is a revealing, it's not a prophecy, it's a revealing of a plan. Chris from Denver wants to know if you're aware, and this is a true story by the way, Alan, of scientists, primarily microbiologists, who have been dying around the planet over the last several years. I think they're up to like 80 now, very unusual. Are you aware of that one? Yes, and it makes sense because um, scientists who are into that particular field uh, know how their own theories of uh, uh, viruses simply um, evolving. Uh, they, they know that there are certain patterns and stages they must go through. What, so when they see something jumping a few stages and obviously heading towards man, then man himself has interfered to make it so. Uh, there's a good book put out uh, um, about uh, warfare with bacteria and viruses. It's called Deadly Allies, and it was published in Canada by uh, and written by a, a Toronto Star reporter. It's all declassified information from the Canadian government, and Canada led the field in viral and bacterial warfare during World War II and afterwards. Um, and he goes into these, these, these techniques of modifying viruses. It's very easy. And in the Daily Mail in England had a two-page spread back in the, the early 90s of a reporter going into the Port and Downs Warfare Laboratory in Britain and having a morning breakfast with the scientists there whose job it is to make these killer diseases. And he said they, they casually sat around having breakfast and talked about ethnic specific diseases which they have uh, diseases which they can release in a country and they, they can program the viruses to reproduce so many thousands of times and then die off that's how well programmed they can be 
So how do we fight back, Alan? What do we do about this? A or lot do, or, or do we people, not? I've been telling people to rapidly inform themselves with the, the ammunition, which is the, the data from those who put the books out on the agenda. And uh, like Jacques Cousteau, who gave the interview and said that uh, about 70% of the public would have to be killed off, um, these great heroes they give us, and once you have the information, then you tell all your politicians and you bombard them and say, look, we know what's coming. We know what's going on. We know what you're up to. And it's not going to happen. Can we win this battle? If we, we definitely tell them we're educated now, we know what's going on, uh, you've got to stop it. Because if we don't stop it, they're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And once the plague is set upon the public, it will be chaos, panic, and people will simply do whatever they're told. All right, let's assume the European Union does it on their own. Mm-hmm. Can we, as a United States, as a country, can we battle all that by ourselves? Uh, I don't think so. I think they want this worldwide. Uh, they've said themselves that this, this particular plague, which they just know is coming. It's the first time in history that you can actually tell you it's just coming. It still has six jumps to go to get to man from animal, but they can tell it's just going to take this. this out of thousands of directions it could go, they just know it's coming our way. Uh, it's going to take five years of, of pandemics springing up and dying down worldwide uh, before it will eventually die off. Well, that's five years of chaos, re- repetitive chaos, uh, and, a, and a lot of the public will be killed off during that whole thing. We have to prevent it before it starts. And that's, and that's why we've got to tell them all, hey, we know what's going on. They want to go from six-plus billion to 500,000 to 500 right. million. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I yeah. guess they believe they can run the world on that amount of people. They certainly do. They have the technology now all based in China. China was set up to do exactly what it's doing by, by the money and technology from the West. They didn't steal anything. They were given everything. And as I say, the Council on Foreign Relations and, and the Royal Institute of International Affairs wrote about setting China up to do this job back in the 1930s. That's how far ahead they plan everything. Now, if they're going to allow for the destabilization of countries in the Middle East, with Iran and Syria being left, mm-hmm. why don't they just go to them and say, folks, you've got to play ball with us here? Mm-hmm. Well, they want, again, a chaos uh, mentality to come through here. They want to bring all those countries again to their knees as well uh, through, through uh, the massive killing that's going on. And there is massive killing going on all the time there. And um, they want this to be... You see, what they said many, many years ago was, and, and uh, this was written about by Albert Pike, the Pope of Freemasonry, who wrote Morals and Dogma. He belonged to the Rite of Perfection, or the Scottish Rite, which was not Scottish at all, that's another story. And he said there would be three world wars, uh, two with Germany, and this was a letter in the British Museum that he wrote to Lord Rothschild, and he said the third one will be between Zionism and Islam to be fought in the Middle East. And he said, it will involve the whole world and, and cause such chaos that the people will be so sick of religion at the end they will uh, allow an age of reason to come in where a scientific uh, elite would, would run the world 
Is this also then a plot to do away with religions and, and beliefs? Yes. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Absolutely. And 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 huh. uh, uh, Pike was very adamant on that that uh, they would they would keep playing it up as the war dragged on that religion was behind it, um, and people would be so disgusted with it all that uh, we'd, we'd put ourselves under the new high priests of science. The creators of these events, uh -huh. were they geniuses? Yeah, you could say they were definitely geniuses if you understand the term genius. Uh, a genius came from genii, and of course the elite of Greece, who all studied in Egypt, such as Pythagoras and Plato himself. Uh, it's the key to the mysteries, actually. Um, they claimed that everyone was born with a soul, but uh, you had to seek for your spirit to unite with your soul in the physical body. That was the trinity. And when that happened, the genii uh, collected with the soul and you, you were complete. You were a genius. You had knowledge beyond the norm. Yeah. Well, stay with us. Alan Watt is our guest. We'll open up the phone lines next hour. I'm George Norrie. This is Coast to Coast AM. And we are back with our guest, Alan Watt, in your phone calls, and we shall go right to the calls. East of the Rockies, welcome to Coast to Coast. You're on the air with us. Hi there. How you doing? My name is Bruce from New York City. Hi, Bruce. Excellent show tonight, as as always. I have uh, two questions for your guests. Um, first of all, do you believe that there was ever an ancient race like the Anunnaki or... Do you think that the gods were sort of made up by the elite, you know, taken from, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago? Do you think, like, a group like the Anunnaki, say, ever actually existed? Uh, personally, no. <laughs> um, the, the whole Anunnaki thing runs, funnily enough, on the same course um, as the mystery makers uh, that come out of England, uh, the Ashmolean Society. Uh, Zachariah Sitchin was the first one to lay the groundwork for this. Um, and he did it with his own special interpretation of uh, the Sumerian tablets, uh, an interpretation which goes in the face of all the other ethnologists and, um, and writers on this subject. So he laid the groundwork and then... Uh, uh, it was well pushed, mind you, from from uh, with big money behind it, and becomes intriguing. And then then David Icke came out and followed it up. Uh, that standard procedure that from from the groups that come out of England, because MI5 and MI6 have a department, and if I had it from the days of Alistair Crowley, who was one of their own boys, and they set up this department outside the Cotswolds area of England. And the purpose of these recruits is to be trained in methods uh, of, of uh, the occult, supposedly, and to go out into the world and create mystery and confusion. And, and since the days of Crowley, who started the OTO, Ordo Templi Orientis, uh, they haven't stopped. I've actually met a few of these people myself that have uh, been sent out from there, and some of them even work in government positions. 
Wow, that's very interesting. And my second question has has a little bit to do with that. Like you, you said you were in the music industry for a while. Can you explain what is the the Tavistock? Uh, connection to the entertainment industry and what exactly is it and because uh, you know I've heard I've read books about the connection to the Beatles and it, it sounded sort of ridiculous to me but can you give us any insight into that? The Tavistock Institute was set up at the beginning of the 1900s um, and went into action in a bigger scale in World War One. its function was to put out uh, uh, plays um, over the radio, the BBC, which would uh, encourage people to join the military and go off and fight the war. It was also uh, an experimental mental hospital. Aldo Huxley talked about it. He worked for it, in fact, where they inserted electrical probes into people's brains and so on and uh, could make them change their moods, um, make them turn right and left like robots. And Aldo Huxley thought this was just wonderful and he explained a lot about it in a, an interview he gave at Berkeley University in about uh, 1967 or 65. Um, so the Tavistock Institute primarily was set up to do predictive programming. Um, that had, that had, had begun prior to the Tavistock by a fund from the Rothschild family in the 1800s to begin uh, financing science writers to write along science fiction because in the next century they wanted us all to think that space travel was a natural way to go and so when you read it in a fictional form and it comes along in your life you don't ask well why are we doing this why are we spending that kind of money that's called predictive programming uh, Tavistock Institute used uh, a long-standing series on television called Coronation Street um, to to actually program the public of Britain for the massive changes they would see over a course of 30 years. And they did it all in story form before the events happened, including the opening of the gates, or the floodgates from India. And they even went through all the problems. They'd, they'd, uh, they'd, they'd meet with uh, different ethnic peoples and so on, intermarriage. It's all done out on a played form. So when you see it enacted in a play form, you will respond the same way as the actors did to that situation when you meet it in real life. That's what predictive programming is. And uh, Tavistock is the world's leader in mass predictive programming and works hand in glove with the entertainment industry. Uh, as far as the Beatles went, the Beatles, um, it comes from an old uh, uh, um, ancient Latin word, bieto, and from the Greek even, uh, which means standing stones. It's a Masonic symbol, and uh, their job was to initially capture uh, the youth of the world. They were clean-cut to begin with. Uh, their songs were written primarily by Theodore Adorno, uh, who was a friend of the Queen, and at one point he was the head of the London Philharmonic Orchestra. And he, owns, he owned the patents to the songs, the rights to the songs, right up until the late 80s when he died. And uh, the, the, the rights to the songs were then bought over by Michael Jackson. Uh, uh, Paul McCartney put a bid in, but uh, Michael Jackson won out. And so Michael and he did a song, something along the lines of Pals or something, to show that there, there were no hard feelings. So yes, I, I bet Michael Jackson wishes at this point he didn't own that half. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, I think Michael problem. Jackson can pretty well get away with anything, to be honest. 
Well, let me do a quick update on the uh, Venus Express. Uh, Richard C. Hoagland's instincts are correct. It appears that the Venus Express is in orbit around Venus. Ground controllers are, conforming, are confirming reacquisition of the low-gain antenna signal from the Venus Express spacecraft. After 10 minutes of the spacecraft, they say oculation behind the planet. The reacquisition of the signal received about six minutes before the end of the 50-minute main burn engine confirms that Venus Express is so far moving at the expected velocity around the planet, so it appears to be in orbit. Thank you, Richard. West of the Rockies, you are on Coast to Coast. Hi there. Uh, good evening, gentlemen. Yeah. This is uh, Julia. I'm calling from Grants Pass in Oregon. And... Um, Alan, you were talking about the secret societies and the Illuminati as being mostly um, f certain families with the certain bloodlines. And, um, but obviously there are other members, let's say someone like a Henry Kissinger. Um, so they obviously need to recruit from the rest of the population to further their plan. Uh, my question is, maybe you could use Kissinger as an example, how did someone like that go from being, you know, an obscure Harvard professor um, before that I guess his family was were refugees from Nazi Germany to um, being recruited or selected? Do you have to demonstrate your corruptness? Um, you know, how is someone like that selected and maybe groomed? It's very similar to the Rhodes Scholarships. Uh, you, in Rhodes Scholarships, again, it was set up by Cecil Rhodes and Lord Rothschilds and Lord Milner to set up world government with the three trading, three trading blocks. Uh, for Rhodes Scholarships, um, they were to train scholars from all over the world and send them back into governmental positions across the world. Mm -hmm. And one of the prime prerequisites for being a Rhodes Scholar wasn't simply intellect. It was the ability to be ruthless when required <coughs> and also to show an intense uh, <coughs> a, a need to dominate uh, society uh, under the pretense of helping it. In other words, you had to be an elitist by nature. Mm -hmm. Did they train them to do that, Alan? Yeah, they were trained to do it. In fact, uh, um, Arnold Toynbee, Professor Arnold, Arnold Toynbee, uh, taught many of them in the 1920s and 30s, and they used uh, Jesuitical techniques as well. Um, they, they gave them... Um, and Illuminati techniques, so they gave them uh, much more privileges as students than, than ordinary people. They would have access to drugs, uh, alcohol, um, females for sexual dalliances without any repercussions. Mm -hmm. And they became, that, that helped to, to build the arrogance factor within them, so they would look down on people. They had psychopathic traits, and there's no doubt about it. And at the last count, there were 200 Rhodes uh, scholars working in the federal uh, bureaucracies in Washington. Okay. Thanks, Julie. appreciate you being on the program. Next up, Wild Card Line, your turn. You're on Coast to Coast with us. Hi there. Hi, Stephen from Vancouver, Hi, Canada. Steve. Go ahead, sir. Sure. Hi. Um, the Odd Fellows and the Rebecca's. Stephen, we lost you for about three seconds, so oh. just repeat that, if you would. Okay, there's an, uh, there's an organization called the Odd Fellows and the Rebecca's. Uh -huh. um, their lodges are always kind of beside the Masons, but you never hear anything about them. Mm -hmm. A lot of their symbols are the same as, like, Mason symbols. Yeah. Um, who are they, and what do they have to do? Are they tied in with the Masons, or, and they are they part of the New World Order and all that? Yeah, yeah they've all been up through the other rites. 
either the York Rite or the Scottish Rite or the up through the Orange Lodge, uh, generally through a couple of lodges before they become odd fellows. And uh, at that level, they're into um, higher forms of control within society. So they're, they're a higher d uh, degree. They've all been through at least the 33rd degree of masons. Of masonry. Uh, the female lodges at one time uh, were all attached to the Illuminati lodges. Mm -hmm. uh, the Illuminati lodges um, had many names. Uh, Babylon always has a thousand faces and names. Mm -hmm. But they always had a female lodge attached to them at one point because they had special uh, women in those lodges. Part of the whole thing in Freemasonry is you got the degrees. If you're a third generation Mason especially, you can go up beyond the 33rd degree. It's an interbreeding program because you're introduced to your wife and uh, a first generation can't get too high, 32nd degree generally. Uh, his son, if he marries an Eastern Star member, one who's been trained as a Masonic wife from birth, Mm -hmm. um, then his, his child can go further but it's the third one that they, they want really uh, he's the end product in other words they're bringing a genetic lineage into, into the male uh, candidate's lineage and it's the, it's the offspring they want eugenics is very much of a part of high Freemasonry so the odd fellows is actually higher than the Masons? they're, they're higher than the regular Masons there are many terms for Freemasonry, right up into noble orders, uh, which um, the monarchy and so on uh, have for for the elite. You know. Hmm. Interesting. So why don't you ever? Why don't we ever hear anything about Odd Fellows or the Rebecca's? Because they keep themselves more quiet. Um, they're more in, into local government type of thing. Uh, they don't want to be seen there openly as being involved in school administration. They're in all the different boards in your area, uh, so they implement the same agendas nationwide, sometimes countrywide at the same time. So they keep a low profile in a sense, but they're on all the major boards, the, the uh, council boards and so on, that run your lives. How do these people meet, Alan? Do they meet uh, at the Bilderberger Hotel, or do they meet uh, via computer? How do they do this? Uh, they have so many lodges. It's, uh, it's so... Uh, incredible. Um, uh, there's uh, see, every lodge is color coded because they all take their colors from the rainbow, and so you join the blue lodge at the bottom, which is uh, uh, symbolic of everything is open to an extent. Although most of them really don't know what they're involved in at that level, um, some will be tapped off into the black lodge. Uh, by a master mason and those ones are the ones that are getting picked to go higher there's also a red lodge that's why uh, the soviets had the red square and you'll notice the british military and the, and the chinese military both have the red band around their hats for officers so that that's that's the one for for revolution and for war where they wear red so you had the reds of communist china and, and also the Reds of Communist Russia. Um, the, the, the Black Lodges deal uh, primarily with mystical masonry to an extent and, and the deeper secrets of masonry, the ancient arts, you might say. Okay, well, stay with us. We'll be back with final phone calls with our special guest, Alan Watt, today as we talk about the secret societies. I wanted to give you his website again. It's cuttingthroughthematrix.com.
Alan, of everything that you've studied with uh, regards to the secret societies, is there one eminent threat here for all of us, something that you think we need to be concerned about right now? Yeah, I would say that it's the, we understand the inner religion of the, <coughs> the secret societies and how they view uh, the high ones, of course, and how they view everyone else. Uh, they, they truly believe that uh, that we are just walking physical beings as compared to themselves who have uh, spirit in them. Uh, we're just machines, basically, to an extent. We are the dead, as they call us. Uh, that's the same name that's used in the, in the New Testament. Uh, let the dead bury their dead, those who cannot under, understand. Uh, they do believe that we are there to serve them and always have been and that literally the time is coming shortly where they have no further need of most of us. And I assume when they reduce the population of the world down to 500 million, they'll be part of the 500 million. Well, that's what all the higher boys believe, hope to believe. That Plato laid it out with his guardians of the world, the upper dominant minority, he called them. Uh, that's the same term that Aldo Huxley called them in his lectures. And uh, out of the, some of the higher orders, they will bring them in to, the, to the, the lesser guardian class. So all the higher masons hope that they'll be one of the chosen, you might say. All right, let's go to our first-time caller line. Thanks for holding. You're on Coast to Coast. Hi there. Hi. Hi, George. Thanks for yeah. taking my call. Sure. Hello, Ellen. I uh, listened to your video today online, and... Um, I, I must say I was very gratified to hear you say a lot of things that I have had dishing around in my head for a long time, and people think I'm a little crazy, but I, I did want to ask you about the um, text screens at the end of your video and the reptilian references, and I wonder if um, that you you actually do believe that there is an alien influence at work here. I I um I, I tend to joke about the reptilians because okay. uh, it's it's a good it's a good it's good entertainment. Well, you know, sometimes I have the feeling that I truly am gazing upon the countenance of demons when I see people like Rumsfeld <laughs> and Cheney. Yeah, uh, it, it, you know that that's, that, that's closer to the truth actually, <laughs> uh, because uh, in reality these guys in the higher degrees, and I've had them explained to me by very high masons. Um, and the higher degrees, they claim to take on a higher entity with every degree. Well, and so when you're looking at a Kissinger type, uh, you are looking at a high entity that's basically taken whatever is left hey, of the person. By the way, here's something. I got a phone call several weeks ago during one of my open lines, Alan. How old is Kissinger? Because I remember him during the Vietnam War mm -hmm. in the 70s. Yeah. Here we are 36 years later. Mm -hmm. The guy has an age today. You're right, and that's, that was that was given out initially by the Rosicrucians in the 1500s with Francis Bacon, John Dee, and all involved, because they made it known that those who would help them towards the great work, as they call it, uh, would be given life extension, and that is a fact. They are given life extension. I've seen some of the high masons myself who've been up there into the higher degrees. I've seen a guy in his 70s run in, a, in the summer 200 yards with a big long ladder and he wasn't even out of breath. In fact, his mouth wasn't even open to breathe through his mouth. 
they are given a life extension, a much higher medical treatment than, than Joe Average. There are three realities, three levels of reality. We are at the bottom level from professorship down. Um, and these guys are given superior treatments, absolutely. Uh, someone will send us what his age is. We'll get it instantly here, and I'll uh, I'll pass that on because it is uncanny. He has not aged at all. The guy's yes. taking some wonder pills or something. And it's the same with Maurice Strong, who works tirelessly for the United Nations. He's in his 70s. He puts in 14 hours per day, travels all over the world, and uh, doesn't come down sick. And, and that's standard with the high Freemasons. They're all the same. Benjamin Franklin was one, too. And he was the same, yeah. Wild Card Line, you're up with us on Coast to Coast. Hi there. Good morning, George. Good morning, Alan. Thank you for taking mm. my call. Uh, sure. Michael from Minneapolis. Okay. And okay. I, I, had a, I actually had two questions. But the first question is, isn't wealth on, on, its, on, on its whole an illusion? Aren't the people who have the guns, don't they really have the power? And wasn't that what happened with the Third Reich and the Illuminati, that they, Hitler betrayed them and decided to just take all their stuff and pretty much toss them from power? Well, with Hitler, I think there's more to it. Um, when you look at I.G. Farben that set up the whole German war machine, I.G. Farben was uh, comprised of all the big boys of the West. Uh, the Rothschild Bayer Company was big in there with chemicals. Uh, 4GM, uh, IT&T, all the big boys comprised I.G. Farben, and including Baxter Laboratories that gives us a lot of our inoculations. Um, uh, I think the deal was that uh, they were to start a war because Churchill uh, wanted a united Europe to come out of this too. Adolf Hitler wanted a united Europe. And you find that when Hess flew over to England uh, during the war, it was more or less to find out what had gone wrong with their plan. I'm sure there was supposed to be a stalemate somewhere. And uh, he landed on Lord Lothian's land. Lord Lothian was the chairman, the head of the Royal Institute of International Affairs at that time. So he knew where he was going and who he had to see. And I think really that Germany was probably double-crossed. Yeah, the, the other question, is that, question would be, uh, wouldn't it make more sense for uh, the Illuminati to want the population to expand and populate uh, other planets so that they can continue the illusion that we have rights and freedoms where they continue to pull the strings? With, and you know, the type of creature they're going to create is a, is a modified type of humanity. And they've said it from the ancient times to the modern times. It'll be a hermaphroditic type of, of human. Uh, NASA did a two-hour special a few years ago. David Suzuki, the geneticist and wildlife commentator, did the narration for it. And NASA claimed that they would have to basically put a new type of human uh, to travel vast distances that may be hatched on the way. And it could be self-reproducing by the possibility of inoculation that would set off a cycle within themselves so they could give birth to themselves is the hermaphrodite thereafter and they're going to do away with what we know as male and female for the lesser peoples um, you'll find some of this in Charles, Charles Galton Darwin's book where he said we the elite will remain unaltered but we can alter the lesser beings to serve us better and that we're creating a more sophisticated form of slavery uh, that's in the book The Next Million Years by Charles Galt and Darwin. So, so they've known for a long time where they were heading. There's another book put out. It has a lot of the mysticism in it of Francis Bacon 
John Dee and all of the, the cabal of the Rosicrucians. And they give you the agenda too uh, in, in a book called uh, A World Without Women. Women will be um, unnecessary in, in the next uh, system to come. Okay, Alan, I know how old Kissinger is. I'll let you guess first. What do you think? Well, I saw him in a jeep when he was driving Ike about in World War II. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I'm not sure. He must be in his 80s, maybe. Yeah, 83 years old. Uh-huh. He doesn't look it. No, he was interviewed, uh, or, uh, or they tried to interview him coming out of a car about a year ago as he was attending the Hollinger, the Hollinger Newspaper Corporation. He's a shareholder there, along with Barbara Walters. And when they went up with the camera to him, I kid you not that the guy, the, the guy pirouetted around, pulled his coat over his face, and he ran up the stairs like really? a teenager. Yeah. He, he didn't want anybody to see him, huh? Yeah, and he ran up those stairs like a teenager. <laughs> that is weird. Let's yeah. go back to the phones. Let's go to our west of the Rockies line. You're on coast to coast. Hi there. Hi, George. My name is Brett, calling you from the gateway to the San Juans. Ah, excellent. You're out there in Washington. Yes. I'd yeah. like to ask Alan, uh, what is the probability of an attack happening this week due to the fact of your prior guest, Mr. Dimitri? That That's you had coming on? up. Yep. It's supposed to be on Friday or, or a little before, isn't it? Yes. Mm. I, I'm very skeptical when they give us dates. Um, you're, you're better to go into the occult numerology to find the dates yourself, and then you're pretty well assured when they're coming up. Um, the, the ones so far they've always given us for something happening, uh, you always find that Homeland Security admits afterwards that it was just a test. You do believe that something's going to happen eventually, though, Alan, don't you? I have no doubt whatsoever. Uh huh. Yeah. And and do you think it'll be a bigger event than the tragedy of 9/11? Uh, yes. In fact, uh, the big occultists that were put out there in predictive programming um, as science fiction writers. Uh, one of them was Arthur C. Clarke. He was a very high Freemason. He takes you through the whole agenda in the two movies, um, 2001 and 2010. Mm -hmm. Because the the, the the kickoff for the new order was to begin in 2001. That movie was produced in the 1960s, and it was to be completed by 2010. So, in the story that appears to take place in space, has, has, has got nothing to do with space. It's all allegory of high Masonic belief, and their whole religion is actually in that movie. Wildcard Line, you're up with us on Coast to Coast. Hi there. Hello. Well, I guess you're gone. We'll go to our next wild card uh, line. Uh, go ahead. Hey, George. Excellent program. Thank you. God, this is Sebastian from Arcadia. I, I almost was going to say I wish you'd hold him over for another hour. There's so many questions to ask him. It's unreal. Go ahead. But um, what about your safety? And um, do you ever worry about that? And um, can you say a little bit more about the, um, you know, the AMORC as well as the Hellfire Club? Yes, uh, uh, safety, uh, uh, when you realize what's coming ahead, I think it's a bit uh, uh, crazy to worry about safety. Um, this is the time to speak out because it's the only time we have is now. Um, and yeah, I've been threatened before and I've had uh, security agencies uh, 
um, come up my way at night without lights when I've been walking the dog and sitting 20 feet from me just to annoy me, you know. I had my previous house almost burned down uh, after I started the radio broadcast on Sweet Liberty. They still continue every Wednesday in sweetliberty.org. And uh, so it doesn't matter to me if I die, I die. I know there's something beyond this. And uh, I think it's, it's more important that you do what you're, you're supposed to do when you're here. Uh, you don't sit back and allow it to happen when you know what's coming. Everyone must do their bit um, because everyone's going to get flattened otherwise. If we all sit, sit back and hope nothing happens to us. Um, as far as the, the, uh, the various Rosicrucian societies, they're all related to the philosophical society which puts out all of their books uh, for Rosicrucians of various, various stripes. Um, you'll find, too, in the invocation that was brought, or the convocation that they had there in 1906, I think it was, uh, they summoned all the other branches of Freemasonry to them. They all came because all Freemasonry is one. It doesn't matter what name they go under, they're all one. And there and then they said that, that shortly they would unite uh, Mexico with America that was part of their mission and that book can be had from the philosophical society um, they definitely intrigue you by their writings it's meant to mystify young people bring them into the occult and get them to work willingly towards it without telling them the true agenda mm -hmm. wow, wow. Okay. I, I definitely applaud you for all your great work Thanks for being on the show. I detect a little, uh, is it an Irish accent? That's Scottish. Scottish. I was yes. close. Yes. He, oh, yes. Yeah. East, east of the Rockies, your turn. You're on coast to coast. Hi there. Good evening. Um, I had a, uh, I was wondering if he was aware of, the, or, I'm sorry, had any more, inf any information on the theory that Venus was once a moon of Jupiter, and uh, when it changed orbits to cause a, um, uh, change in the so, you know in the social order of that time. Yes, and I know that's uh, one of one of the theories that was put out um, a, a long time ago. Uh, no one really knows because in the Egyptian writings, who chronicle where they chronicled this this kind of thing, they did talk about a worldwide catastrophe where something had passed close by. It, it's very probably though it was a comet because it rained fire on its way across and it, probably going through the tail of a comet and uh, they said that literally it was falling on the cattle and they were uh, getting burned and uh, it probably upset the, the time clock of the world, the rotation because the, the Egyptians then called for all the wise men from all over including Babylon to create a new calendar because they, they found that uh, the old calendar uh, had altered from 360 days, the Earth had actually slowed down to 365 and a little bit more. So, so it was more likely a comet that, that we, we passed through. Every once in a while, we do a guest chat on the internet, Alan. I'm do, I do mine uh, once a month. I'm doing it tomorrow, uh, eight o'clock Pacific time, to yeah. what we call Streamlink members. So somewhere down the line, I'll have Lex Lonehood, our webmaster, get a hold of you, yeah. and uh, you can be a guest chatter on the internet for us. Sure, I'd, I'd love to. People would love to ask you questions. First time caller line. Welcome to Coast to Coast. You're on the air. Hi there. Hi, how are you guys doing? Oh, we're doing great, thanks. Um, I'm Kurt. I'm calling from College Park, Maryland. 
Sure. And um, if either of you have seen the movie V for Vendetta, which I've seen twice, uh, the movie uh, made mention that anybody that was homosexual would not be part of the plan. As a gay man, do I have to look forward or worry about that? Good question. And I'll let you listen as we approach the end of the uh, program, Kurt, on uh, your uh, radio. That's um, an interesting question because the Illuminati used movements of what they call disaffected people who were sort of outcasts within society. And the homosexual movement really was pushed by them, not for the homosexuals' benefit. Uh, it was to, once you get a group uh, together, it's easy for the ones at the top then to bring you into a political force who then sway you off in a different direction. Homosexuals are being used to help destroy, that's all, to help destroy anything that used to be thought of as normal. Uh, they're only one uh, group that's being used for this very purpose. And when we're in flux, culture is created from the top down. Always has been. Plato went through that in the, the Republic. Uh, nothing is, comes from the grassroots. And so therefore, when you get a, a culture in flux, where you have nothing to compare normalcy to, then you can bring the next stage. The homosexuals will be bypassed along with everyone else when they bring out the new clone types, which will be hermaphroditic uh, in nature. Well, Alan, uh, let's talk again about the website. What can people find on that when they peruse it? They'll find uh, many talks to download from other shows. Um, they'll find the links to sweetliberty.org, um, First Amendment Radio, where they can go into the archives. Uh, I've done many, many hours explaining the occult, uh, deprogramming uh, techniques, etc., I go through all the forms of mind control down through history and how it works on us today. Um, I'm also thinking of uh, perhaps putting uh, some songs out there, new songs. I'm looking for some musicians to help back me up. All right, very good. Alan, thanks so much for being on the program. It's been a pleasure. Secret Societies. For Steve Carr, Dan Galanti, Tom Danheiser, Lisa Lyon, Lex Lonehood, Sean LaDesori, and Punnett and Art Bell, I'm George Norrie. Somewhere out there on Coast to Coast AM. I'll see you on our next edition. Until then, be safe, everyone.